All right, good morning, everybody. Hope you've had a good week. Let's go ahead and get started. It's 11 o'clock, and uh, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're uh, I'm here. Welcome to Carlsbad Bible Church. We're excited to, to have you guys here, and um, we have a good, busy morning today. Uh, we'll start out with announcements. Normally, we do them at the end, but because of uh, our baby dedications today, we're going to change things up a little bit. So, um, <clears throat> so. Don't forget about our ministry moments uh, or uh, events on Wednesdays. We have our uh, evening Bible studies at 6.30, and uh, we have it for all age groups, men, women. Come by and see us uh, 6.30 here at the church on uh, November 24th. Um, we have the four, at 4.30 p.m. We have our, which is this coming Tuesday, right, which is the day after tomorrow. Uh, we have our food box preparation, okay? So at 4.30, if you have any items you signed up for, Make sure we have them here by 4.30 because we're going to start putting the boxes together or at, at 4.30. Um, also, today is the last chance that you can sign up. The sign-up sheet's back here in the back. Right before you walk out on the right-hand side, there's a little table. The sign-up sheet is there. So today is the last day that you can sign up. So whatever is not on that list, the church will purchase the remaining items. So um, if you're feeling like you want to participate in that, there's an opportunity or... If you want to participate in a different way and help put these boxes together, come by and see us Tuesday at 4.30, and uh, we can uh, put you to work, definitely. So, <laughs> And then we'll be delivering them afterwards, dis- distributing them. Um, on December 16th, put this in your calendars, men, uh, from 9 to 2. This is on a Saturday, okay? Hopefully this isn't uh, conflict with uh, any type of hunting season or football game or something, right? I'm not sure what we're competing with, but... Uh, it is that time of the year, but December 16th at 9 o'clock to 2, we'll serve lunch there. Uh, we're going to do our study on deacons, so if you feel called uh, or you feel like uh, maybe you, uh, you're thinking about it or maybe you're not sure, this is just we're going to do a study on, uh, on deacons and what it is, and uh, maybe at the end of the study you're like, this isn't for me, but at least you have an understanding of it. So if you feel like this is something you may be interested in or you feel like you want to do this, Come by and see us. We're going to do two sessions. Our first session will be December 16th. We're going to go half through half the study, and then we'll have another date planned in the near future um, for the next half of the study. Um, so we're going to do that, our deacon boot camp, okay? So the training for future deacons, so, or to uh, the knowledge of, right? It doesn't mean you have to become one now, but at least you understand what the role is, and you can pray about it if you feel like you need to. But anyways, uh, next week we will have a sign-up sheet for that so that we can plan on, uh, on food whenever we decide to do this. Um, well, not when we decide, but on the 16th we'll know how much food to bring uh, for lunch. So um, also, marking your calendars, December 24th at 6 o'clock we'll have our candlelight service. And so we invite all of you, and if you don't participate, if you're not part of our church, you go somewhere else, but you have nothing to do, come by and see us at 6 o'clock. And our candlelight service will be uh, singing some songs and uh, uh, some Christmas songs that are related to Christ and not the things of the world. And um, so anyways, we try to focus on that. Also for our young disciples, put this in your calendar, December 15th, we'll be having our uh, young disciples Christmas party at uh, our house and uh, we'll be doing that. Also, we are inviting the families to uh, the uh, young disciples. So we want you guys to come out. We're going to do a uh, white elephant gift and if you want to participate in that, no more than 10 bucks per gift, and um, you can do that. So we're inviting our young disciples and their families, even if there's 20 of you, come on over, right? If your family's like mine, there's 20 of us in our compound. So <laughs> come by and see us, and uh, we'll all hang out together and then have a good fellowship. And then 
Um, if you're interested in participating in our fellowship in the park, we do that every Saturdays at 11. Um, please get with Jeremy or Nick, and they can give you the details on what we do there and um, how to participate in that. So Nick is in the very back, and Jeremy's over here on the right. So come by and see him. All right, did I miss anything? Okay, all right. Whew. All right. Now turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 17. I mean, uh, ooh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. For the reading of God's word. <clears throat> and we're going to go 17 to 31, a little long, but a very, very important passage. Mark 10, 17. Go ahead and stand while we read. Sorry. So Mark 10. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned such much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished, saying to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people, yes, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children of, or farms for my sake and for my gospel's sake, except one who will receive 100 times as much now in this present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Once again, thanking you for giving us of this gift of prayer, of this gift and the opportunity to lift up our praises to you through the music and the things that we have sung, that they are teachings and instructions to our heart, as we also know that your word will be. Um, the responsibility is mine to divide your word rightly today that I would be faithful to it, God. And so I pray that you would help me, that you would enable me, that you would use me as a vessel through which you would bring this message. And if there's anything of me or anything that is inserted here that is not of you, God, that you would just cause that to just leave it, uh, leave its place here and perish here, that only the essence of what you want us to understand and, and take in and root ourselves in is, is of your word and of your truth, God. And we just thank you once again for the privilege that it is together with other saints and to just sing to you and to lift up our cries of 
mercy to you, God. If we find ourselves in a place where we are lost in sin, I pray that today that would be exposed to us in a very evident way, God, that for the one that does not know you, that their heart would come to that place of repentance and agreeing with you on that sin, and they would live their life for you and put their faith and their trust in the only one who could take their sins to the cross and die the death that we deserved, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we come to you and that we pray. Amen. And turn in your word with me to the book of Philippians, and we will be continuing in our study, having started chapter 3 just a couple of Sundays ago. We now find ourselves getting a little bit further into the text here. It's been something really rich, as God's Word is, and we want to remind you to be like those noble-minded Bereans that Paul writes about, or sorry, Luke would write about in Acts chapter 17, that they did just not take the words of Paul and Silas as the truth from Scripture, but they took Scripture itself as truth, and they grounded everything that they heard from Paul and Silas in God's Word, and they were called noble-minded by Luke in his writing there, and we commend you to do the same thing, that you would go to the Scriptures, that you would source everything that you hear from this pulpit, whether it's taught by me or Ray or anyone else, that you source it and ground it in Scripture. So here we are in Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Philippians now, chapter 3, and I will be reading verses 12 through 16 and only intend to probably get through three of these verses this morning. I know many of you are looking forward to our child baby dedication, so I didn't want to cut the message short, but I wanted to give us enough to chew on and handle for something that is, I think, sufficient for the day for us. So let's um, turn to God's Word now, and let's read Philippians three twelve through 16. Not that I have already, already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise... God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us turn once more to God in prayer. Father, thank you for this text. And I pray that as we study it together, as we unpack the meaning that is here for us, that we do it in a way that is right before you, that is glorifying to you, that works change into our hearts and helps us as we run this race together this goal that we have, that upward call of knowing you, of experiencing you, and identifying with you, God, in all the ways that you present to us in Scripture. May we just seek to grow more Christ-like in our Christian walk. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we concluded last week where Paul had detailed for us his legalist resume, as having been a Pharisee himself, even saying that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, saying that he had been circumcised on the eighth day, uh, saying that he was of the tribe of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He's listing all those credentials that really help him rise to the surface when it comes to his standing 
before the legalists as one who was on the same platform as they were. In fact, he, he was even more so, he would say. He would consider himself and anyone looking at him from an external sense as one who, according to the law, that he was blameless. Paul was almost perfect at the ceremonial law and following all the dietary restrictions and following all the feasts and the Sabbaths. Uh, Paul was pretty much perfect in that. And he was describing that for us to show us that all this stuff that one might consider worthy, that one might take a great deal of pride in, all this religiousness that he has, he is now ready to throw away. Now he calls it something that is rubbish to him. And we looked at the word, the strong word that Paul uses to describe that as being rubbish is to say that this is manure, this is dung, and that is what this is to him now in comparison to that surpassing worth that he has found in Christ Jesus, his Lord. He has now experienced his Savior in a a saving way. When he was encountered by the risen Lord on the Damascus Road, he was suddenly blinded and he fell to his knees and he realized right then and there the one who he was persecuting was the one who was his Messiah sent to redeem him from his sin, to redeem him from his past. And he wanted now to completely identify with Christ. So radical was the change that Paul underwent that he was now ready to, all the stuff that he had accumulated over his life, all the time that he had put into studying the law at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the greatest rabbis of the time, all the, the money that was probably poured into the university that he studied at, that was all rubbish to him and now he knows Christ and this is how he wants to identify with Christ just look back there we're going to dip back a little bit into last Sunday's teaching verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead What Paul is doing here is he's taking the resurrection and the power there in the resurrection of Christ. He wants to experience that power in his life. He knows that Christ is in him. He wants to grow more in that understanding of what all that Christ accomplished on the cross and in the power of his resurrection all the way down to his abject humility in death, even death on the cross, and all the sufferings that were in between. So Paul is covering the breadth of the life of Christ and all that he wanted to experience and his identification with his Savior, that he was ready to go through all of it for the sake of knowing Christ more, of growing in his relationship and glorifying God in doing so. So we see he wanted the power of the resurrection life to be seen in him that go through this uh, suffering along with what Christ had suffered, even willing to go to the degree of death to the final exaltation of, of Christ and now wanting to be bodily resurrected that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. He wanted to be face to face with Christ his Savior. In view of today's passage, this uh, text leading into it, Paul is now kind of coming off of this pinnacle and he's now expressing that he, like all of us, are really on the same level. We're on the same plane. We're in the same playing field. And we're like runners in a race. So the lens I think that we, I would encourage you to look at this through is 
that of an athlete, one who is running a race. And we're running this race together. If you have received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior of your life, you are part of this Christian experience. You have a walk that is set out before you. And sometimes it seems like a sprint, but what Paul is writing of here, I believe, is more of a marathon. Now, as I mentioned, Paul comes off this pinnacle of the previous text where he has said that, Oh, that I may know him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. And those who are reading this letter or maybe hearing Paul speak something like this, if he ended there, they say, man, Paul has arrived here. Paul is, is getting this perfect and might kind of beat up on ourselves. But just so that we don't do that, Paul, he's coming off that pinnacle and he turns to an honest self-assessment of himself. I think that's where we all need to be is doing this honest self-assessment of where we stand in this Christian walk that we're all in, this Christian race that we're in. And in verse 12, Paul says in his self-assessment, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Paul doesn't want any one of you to think that he has arrived and now he has perfected all of this that he has just mentioned. He hasn't perfected that resurrection life. It is, it is in him. It is working in him. He hasn't perfected the, the sufferings to the degree of wanting to go to death. He hasn't perfected that. Going to be with his Lord and Savior on the other side of glory, that's when he will be perfect. But in the process, there is, there's this in-between that Paul is writing about here that all of us are are in this this race this start and finish line and all that is in between and Paul is not perfect and he wants to assure us of that now that may have been the the Paul that was once Saul when he was a Pharisee and thinking that he had it all together that he was blameless according to the law that's that's a very egotistical statement to make and that's probably what he thought at one time we know that he writes about it Philippians 3 6 that as to righteousness under the law blameless but now we see the man surrendered to Christ understanding what his place was before the exalted Christ what his place was before the perfect one only one man was perfect and that God man was Christ Jesus And Paul is saying, I'm not him. And we see here also that none of us are him. Only Christ is the perfect one. And now we could see such a radical change occurred in Paul that he would say things like this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He's no longer boasting in his qualifications as a Pharisee or as a legalist, but now the things that he would boast in he writes about this way, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, so that Christ may be glorified in him. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm, I'm blameless, but rather he's talking about these weaknesses that he has. He's been describing this thorn in the flesh that he had prayed to God that he would remove it from him. We don't know if it's a physical affliction that Paul was going through. There's a lot of speculation about that. Paul said, regardless, if God is going to keep that in me, keep this thorn in me, 
then all to his glory. It is for a reason he's left it there, and now that's a weakness, or I see it as a weakness, but all to his glory. And that's the change that Paul had underwent in his conversion, his salvation. And all who are in Christ Jesus should have this proper view of oneself before a sovereign and a holy God. And this should be something that should quickly drive us to our knees. We think about the posture of our heart before God and how He detests pride in the heart. When we come before Him in prayer and in thankfulness, it should always be with the posture of our heart having surrendered and submitted, bowing the knee before a sovereign God. And the miracle of our salvation, one of the things we should be the most grateful for, it's multifaceted. You know, we ourselves are not made perfect, but here it says that we are in the one who is perfect. Remember Paul, I think he uses over 90 times in his writings that we are in Christ, that we are placed into the perfect one in salvation. We are now in him. We will never arrive at perfection this side of heaven, but before our holy God, we need to be found in Christ. Paul had just mentioned this last week when we studied it, that he wants to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of, of his own that comes from following the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, the faith of God, from God, that depends on faith. It's not our own righteousness. It is that righteousness that he imputes or that he covers us with that is the righteousness of Christ. So those, that is who we are, is we are declared righteous in Christ. And that's where we stand before God. Paul, though he was not perfect, and knowing that he never would arrive at perfection while here on this earth, would yet say this, I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul's direction, um, his desire, his purpose, his end goal had changed. The abiding presence of the Holy Spirit was in Paul, empowering him, enabling him, urging him on, pressing forward, whatever word you want to use for that, there was that difference within him that was causing that pressing on, that he couldn't help himself because Christ was in him. He was in Christ. It's that word abiding that, that John uses so much in his writing. First John 4, 12-13, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And he's described as the vine, and we are the branches that are tapped into that vine. We're seeking uh, in that abiding sense as our source, that empowering enablement that we need, and that is given to us by His Spirit within. Pressing is what in Christ looked like for Paul. And it should look like for us. And here is where I want to kind of bring in this, this runner analogy, this one who is running a marathon, because I think it, it makes a good, good sense to us. All of us know what it's like to run a race. Maybe we've run a race probably in, in our younger days. I don't think that I could get very far today in a physical running of a race. But this is the view that we have here is a race. And that in that race, we want to press on. 
and that we want to make this end goal, that we want to make it our own, and that is Christ-likeness, the identification with Christ. Paul was compelled. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The motivation for Paul was coming from within by that desire to be more Christ-like and to be with Christ. That was the urgings, the longings that the Holy Spirit was causing in, in Paul within that desire, and it should be also within every believer, the Spirit of God working within us. And when the Holy Spirit lives in us, there should be that, that pressing that we want to do, pressing in on knowing more of Him from within our spirit to be more Christ-like in our walk because Christ Jesus had made has made me his own, like Paul. We can say that. Christ Jesus has made us his own. In Romans 8, 8 through 10, I'll go ahead and give you a chance to turn there. I don't think I've given you an opportunity yet going too fast with these scripture references, but go ahead and turn to Romans 8, beginning in verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. It is that life within us, the Greek word used for life, where is that zoe, life. There's a different Greek word called bios life, and that is basically how we live and, and breathe and the blood running through us and the bones that make up our skeletal structure. That is bios life. But when it re- refers to zoe life, that is a spiritual life within us, that we are turned on for a desire for God by His Spirit within us. It's like a, um, a homing beacon. I don't know if uh, you've ever... You've seen that, but you have um, these, I, I know in World War II, they experimented with these things called bat bombs, <laughs> and they would actually attach bombs to bats. The experiment, I think, was conducted here, here in, in Carlsbad because of all the bats, and, and because they always would desire to co- go back to the main colony as if they could get these bats to return you know, to these dwellings or to these places um, in World War II Germany, I believe is where they're experimenting with, they could put these bombs on them when they captured them and then they would blow up their facilities. But that was that kind of that homing instinct that these bats were designed with. There's carrier pigeons are the same thing, but in a sense for us, when the Spirit dwells within us, we have that heavenwardly longing. That's our homing beacon. That's where we now desire to be, face-to-face with Christ our Savior. That by any means possible, we might attain the resurrection of the dead because we want to be with Christ. But until we get there, we're going to seek to be more Christ-like. So in verse 13, Paul uses this phrase, straining forward. Very much the same, same idea, and it's in fact the same Greek word, the pressing or a straining forward. And if you're thinking of a runner, you see them get towards the end of the race and you have that little ribbon that runs across the end line and you see them you know, running side by side with another one and they want to win so badly they'll just stretch out their chest 
to, to reach that end goal, to reach that prize, that straining forward. When I went uh, yesterday, made a really quick trip up to Lubbock so I could watch the last game of Texas Tech. My son invited me to come watch it with him. Uh, they have a running back that runs for Texas Tech. His name is Taj Brooks, and uh, I think he accumulated over 180 yards in just running, and it was really phenomenal to see him run. He didn't just have a natural talent, but he had this strong urging, this strong desire to get every yard that he could out of his run before he was tackled. And if he didn't make it to the end zone, he was just going to get back up and he was going to to try again the next play. And you see that, you kind of get that analogy here, is that there is a, a constant moving forward. His, he kept his legs moving. He just wanted to get a little bit more. There's a goal line out there, and he wasn't satisfied until he was going to reach it. And that's what Paul wants us to understand here in our Christian walk. We have a goal out there. We're not going to reach it until we get to the other side of glory. But until that time, we're going to press on. We're going to strain forward. Like seeing those running a race, leaning in. They never stop exerting until the end. And we see that in, in Paul's life. And we should be seeing that in our life as well. A good runner continually conditions themselves. And unless you try to do something beyond what you have already mastered, then you are never going to grow. I think we should always be challenging ourselves to grow more in our faith, to grow more in our Christian walk. If a runner running down the track is satisfied with their performance up to a point, then there's going to be the tendency to slow down. Looking around, maybe it's finding people who aren't doing as well as you are and just making comparisons with yourself. And before you know it, the guy who was behind you, okay, well, suddenly he's passed you and you've lost the race. Distracts us from training with the tools that we really need. The enemy is really good about that. You know, I need to take time to pray and cultivate that relationship, that communication with my Heavenly Father. I need to take time in His Word to hear Him speak into me His truth, and that's where it is found. He gives us these tools to further develop that in-between of the start and the finish line. But how often we get distracted by the things around us. If you're looking at other Christians around you, that is going to slow you down. I uh, love what Jesus tells Peter because I think many of us can identify with this when we think of all these distractions that we might have from that end goal. In John 21, verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And in my translation, there's an exclamation point there. (laughs) And I just kind of get this image of of Jesus, you know, lovingly holding Peter in like a toddler and cupping his hands and his face and just like, okay, don't turn there. Look at me. Follow me. And I think this is what Paul is doing here. We need to keep our eyes fixed on what matters. Imagine if Paul had compared himself to others around him. Paul, who walked that walk very well, I don't know of any human that existed that could walk it as well as Paul did, even though he was not perfect. But for Paul to say this, 
To say this of himself, that he hasn't arrived, this shows a very healthy measure of divine dissatisfaction with his spiritual progress. And we want to be content. You know, that's just kind of a flesh longing of us. We want to be content in things. And we want to be content with where we are in the growth process of a believer. In that progressive sanctification that we undergo as a believer, we want to find that place where we can lock into a holding pattern. You know, in the, the plains, they get up to a certain elevation, 30,000 feet or whatever. Okay, let's just lock in there and just wait till the landing. But here with Paul, what he's describing is it's continual. I'm not going to be satisfied until I have stepped into the other side and I am in the presence of Christ. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We should recognize that this is not just for Paul and a select few to say things like this. We want to be hearers of the word, but we also want to be doers of the word. This is instruction to us. This is the desire that should be cultivated, that should be nourished within each and every one of us. Now, we understand like Paul, or I hope that we do understand um, that just like Paul, that none of us are going to attain perfection to the degree that Christ did, who was totally perfect. And even though we recognize that, we will not be content until we are on the other side of heaven, is that we're going to work to grow more in our relationship with Christ and identifying with Christ and learning more of who He is and what He has done for us. Pressing on. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Paul was speaking of his own salvation here in that Christ had made him His own. And that was the motivation for Paul. That was what compelled Paul to make this race, to engage in this race. In John 1, 12 through 13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That verse speaks to me, at least in that sense, that Jesus has made us his own. That we aren't a self-made person when it comes to our salvation. Paul had talked about all the ways that he tried to make himself worthy, that he tried to make himself perfect in the eyes of God, and now because he had found Christ, that was all rubbish to him. Because he, Christ, had made Paul his own. Christ has made us his own. We are made a child of God. We're not born of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, as if we could somehow will ourselves into it. Now we are saved by Christ alone, by His grace, through faith. This is how we are all made His own. We belong to God through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In salvation, Christ, He has apprehended us. He lays hold of us to make us His own. But then there is that response side of it. That if, if Christ has made us His own, then what do we do to pray? Why do we press on? <laughs> And it's like I said, Paul could not resist that urging because of what Christ had done for him. That was what his salvation was worth to him. I am going to keep on going. I'm going to keep moving forward, Lord. I'm going to strain ahead until I am home with you. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And Paul again reminds us, I'm not perfect in this. I do not consider that I've made it my own. 
but I am going to do everything that I am capable of doing for the glory of Christ while I'm here on this earth. But for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain, is what he had said earlier in the book of Philippians. If I consider that I have made it of my own, well, then what do I do now? If I've arrived, well, okay, now I'm probably in that holding pattern, and I don't think that you know, God needs anything more from me. And that is not what the Christian life should look like. Surrender to Christ means there is an awareness that we are always in the state of growth idea that I mentioned earlier, progressive sanctification. And Paul says that those who are mature should be thinking this way. That there's a growth process from our time of salvation till the time when we finish the race, but in that we should be seeing a maturity. And there will be a time where we, as a mature Christian, that we're always going to be wanting to, to grow more. Now we will never fully make it our own, but we will be trying. In 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 12, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, and Paul's speaking of his spiritual maturity here, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even has been fully known. Even there in his writing to Corinthians, it's that, that Christ has laid hold of us, that he has made himself known and he knows us and we desire to know more of him, to seek to fully know him, but knowing that it's never going to be that full realization until we are in, with him in heaven. One thing I want to kind of hone in on here that Paul says, he says, but one thing I do, and Ray and I don't coordinate on what he's going to read before the service, <laughs> but he read that passage from Mark chapter 10, where Jesus talking to the rich young ruler, and you may have caught it in that reading. You know, he's, he's thinking that he's done all the right things, kind of like Paul thought he was doing all the right things, maybe according to the law, he saw himself as blameless, and Jesus says, okay, we'll go and sell everything you have. He says, and he wasn't willing to do this, and he lacked that one thing. And that's all Christ called him to. One thing you lack. And something interesting also about this passage in verse 13 of Philippians 3. It says, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. In Greek translation, the I do does not actually appear there. That, that's been inserted by the translators. It's but one thing. And then he describes the one thing. One thing, colon, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of his God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But there's so many distractions. You know, we can spread ourselves very thin and fail to be effective at that one thing. And what well, hit, hits hard to me as I was <laughs> thinking and writing that phrase, I was like, wow, Owen, this is, uh, this is you. You know, there's so many distractions that I'm distracted by and want to be involved in so many things, but in being involved in all those things, the one thing that I need to be doing, I'm not doing well. And the one thing we need to be doing is, is running that race and keeping the end goal in mind. And then forgetting what lies behind 
and straining forward to what lies ahead. And sometimes memory is just not such a great thing. We remind ourselves continually, dig back into those thoughts, dig back into those memories, and let's bring them forward into the present. And when we do that, that that stymies our Christian growth. It stalls us out. In fact, it could even send us in the backwards direction. I had a a friend um, who coached his son's little league team. And his son was really good at batting. He could usually hit home runs, but... You know, he, was, he had a really good batting average. He just wasn't a really good runner because he was somewhat of a husky kid. So he would hit the ball, and if it was infield, and he'd have to round first, and then he would go to second. As soon as he'd start to round first, his dad would yell at him. He said, unhitch that trailer, unhitch that trailer. Because as he was running, it was almost as if he was carrying some weight behind him. And, and it makes sense of what we do. Right? We sometimes want to just leave that trailer hitched behind us. And not only leave it hitched behind us, we want to load it up with all kinds of things. And before long, we've just taxed ourselves out and we're, we're getting nowhere with it. Like those tractor pulls, eventually it just stops completely. To run effectively into the future, you need to let go of your past. Good runners keep their eyes fixed on the end. If they were turning back to look at the other runners behind them, it's going to slow them down. I remember in elementary school, we had this thing called field days. And it was usually a bunch of little races. We had a sack cop. We had a three-legged race. But I was on a team in the relay race. And there was four, four of us guys. And we had you know one who started us. It wasn't like a regular relay where you hand the baton. You just ran to one end of the field. And your other teammate was there. And as soon as you crossed that line, they would run back the other direction until you had the last guy. Well, we were winning the race, right? We got to the fourth guy who's the anchor guy, and he's just almost across the finish line, and there was a guy running neck and neck with him, but he was still ahead of him. We were going to win first place, but what do you think he did? (laughs) He turned around, and he looked back, (laughs) and we lost the race. Um, So I think we can identify with this, that that race, and I should forget about that. You know, that's the past. I should just let it go, but... (laughs) I think I still remember his name. Okay. (laughs) And that's how we can run the Christian race. Always thinking, always looking back into the past. Now, this doesn't mean that we're to lose our memory or have failure to recall, but it's not letting those things of the past influence you. We are told that our sins, that our iniquities, he will remember no more. As far as the east is from the west to the depths of the ocean, that's the degree that the idea that we have in mind is how far removed we are from that, that past that once defined us, our sinfulness, that when we are forgiven of Christ, the shed blood of Christ is complete and it is once and for all. It is not for us to dig those sins of the past and beat ourselves over the head with it if we truly have put our faith in Jesus Christ and we are striving to live a life of repentance, that those things have gone. Now, there is some value in in kind of remembering certain things. We talked about this last week, but if God is no longer influenced by your past and He doesn't deal with you based on your past, why should we hold on to those things and let them affect our present? Leave it. Learn from it and then go forward. If you want to be miserable in your life, if you want to be miserable in your Christian life, just keep looking over your shoulder. Imagine you're know, driving, 
and looking in the rearview mirror constantly. So you're not looking through the windshield at things ahead of you, but you just keep on looking in, in the rearview mirror. Well, you'd keep running into stuff, right? You'd probably have collisions all the time. You'd be swerving off the road. If there's value in quick glances back, that's what the rearview mirror is for because I think that helps us value that salvation, that relationship, remembering the past that Jesus took us out of, but, but just leaving it there and valuing that salvation, seeing what he has done for us, but not a continual looking back. You go nowhere. You keep running into stuff. You know, asking God all the whys. The, the regrets, you know, well, why, did, why did you put this person into my life? You know, well, I remember what they said to me 10 years ago, and I just can't let it go. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, not going to put that one behind me. Or why did you put me through that hardship? Or why did you put me through that loss, God? Why did you bring that person into my life? Or why did you take that person out of my life? To live this Christian life well, we have to find that joy in Christ. And in order to do that, we have to keep our gaze fixed forward. Jesus is described as the author, the perfecter of our faith. He's the victorious Savior who will one day return in final victory. And that is where our prize is. That is where our gaze needs to be fixated. But until then, we need to keep pressing on. And in verse 14, Paul gives us the orientation here, the the direction that we need to go. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the word that he uses here for pressing on again is the same as the first time or the other time that we read this um, when he says he wants to press on, but it also seen the same Greek word back in verse 6. When Paul is describing how as a Pharisee he once persecuted the church, the word for persecuted there is the same Greek word as he's using here for pressing on. That he once pursued the Christians, many to their death, thinking that he was glorifying God in that, thinking that he was doing something good for God. And in his salvation, he had been changed and now turning that same zeal, that same energy into putting into his, his Christian walk and his obedience unto God, his following God. Once a persecutor, but now pressing on in a different direction toward the goal for the prize. Now, that running back, Taj Brooks, he wanted a touchdown really bad. And I think he finally did get one that night. You know, But that was his end goal. I want a touchdown. I want to put points on the board. For the runner, it's I want to win that gold medal. You know, For me in that relay race, I think the blue ribbon was the prize there that I didn't get, I got the red instead. But there's always, there's always a prize for the victor. The in-between, the start of the race and the end is where most of us, all of us are today. Maybe some of us haven't started it yet. You know, that is an important question that we need to ask ourselves. But if you are in Christ, that you are a new creation, and now he's doing that work of progressive sanctification, getting us towards that end. The in-between is the persevering. It's the leaning in on this life that God has given to us to live for His glory and for the advancement of His kingdom. As I mentioned earlier, the orientation, the direction here is very important. It's the upward call that Paul talks about. It's not the downward gaze. It's not the horizontal gaze. It is the upward call that we need to direct ourselves to, that we need to pour ourselves in 
to something that is not on this earthly plane, but it is directed towards our Lord, who is seated at the throne of the Father. Homing beacon. That's where it is for us. We are no longer citizens of this world. We're going to study that a little bit later on, but our longing is turned on to our heavenly home. And Paul was pressing toward it. He was being intentional in his walk. He was studying his word. He was in prayer. He was teaching. He was having fellowship. He was being called upward in that saving faith. So you see the both directions going on there. Paul is pressing upward and he's leaning upward, but the call is still coming. It's pulling him in to his heavenly home in a sense, that we're always being uh, drawn and creating that longing, that urging to be there with God. To identify with Him, become more like Him, is our in-between here and heaven. Not in the past or in the future, but in the present. I heard a commentator state it this way, because thinking that we can go back and live in the past or even going out into the future and trying to change our circumstances there instead of living in that space that God has given us right now. He says, eternity touches our world at the present. And I thought that was a pretty good quote, but um, it's not scripture. I think that's kind of what Paul is writing about. Like Paul, from the victory to the defeat and everything in between, so that we one day will stand before our Lord and hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But until we arrive there, we're to press towards as He draws. One day when we cross the ultimate finish line, we will be in that eternal home. We will be at rest. We will be complete in Christ. And we can go a long distance in the wrong direction. And uh, last night, trying to come home from Lubbock um, in the dark. It was pretty late. First thing I did was call Jody, let her know I was on my way home. And I thought I could figure my way out of Lubbock because I used to live there, but I wasn't used to being on that side uh, of Lubbock. And so I started driving around, and I was distracted and uh, ended up looking up at a sign, and it said I was headed towards Amarillo. And I was wondering, okay, <laughs> how did I get to this point? And so I thought, I got I to get off the phone here. I'm headed in the wrong direction. And so as soon as I got off the phone, I pulled up my Google Maps, and I pulled it up, and I have um, automatically or just in, um, in my phone, home. And I pressed home, and I hit go, and, you know, it, I couldn't believe how far off I was, but turned me around, and it started me heading back home. Once home was dialed in, then I was able to make my way on to home. And I think for, for us, we need to ask ourselves that. Do we have home dialed in? Is heaven our beacon that we're motivated towards, that we're urged towards? And if it's not, then that calls into question, is He in us? Is Christ in us? You know, we cannot attain salvation of our own doing. Paul's already said that to us. He himself thought maybe it could be done because according to the law and following it all, he was blameless externally, but the truth of it is that God sees the heart and that's where his righteousness needs to be applied and he has to apply it for us. 
Not a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And when he imputes us with his righteousness, taking our sins, he imputes them to Christ on the cross. And Christ took the Father's wrath towards those sins, the death that we deserved. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of those sins. And then he rose again victorious from the grave. And that Paul would, and us would say that we want to identify with Christ in that power of his resurrection, but also to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead, that I will be in the presence of the Lord one day. And if you don't sense any of those desires or those longings within you, and you're looking at your life that has been lived up to this point, and you see that there has been nothing of true value into the eternal that you have done, maybe the turning point for you is today. You've been running the race the wrong direction. Let God put himself, put his hold upon you and save you today. Cry out for his mercy. He is a merciful God. He is faithful to save us to the uttermost because it all depends on Christ's completed work on the cross. And that is done and that is finished. We just need to put our faith in Him and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and all that He accomplished on the cross for us and that He rose and He defeated death and that we will one day be with Him in eternity. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for an opportunity to teach Your Word and I pray that there was not anything that I said that might have got somebody turned in the wrong direction, Lord. We ask that you would help us to orient ourselves towards you and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. We direct that towards you, Lord. Everything that we have here, everything that we do, from the starting line to the finish line, God, we want it to be of value in the eternal. We want to grow in you, we want to live our life for you, and we want to share you with the lost and dying around us. Help us to be faithful to that, Lord. We know that it does not come from us creating this energy on our own, but yet we have something that is in us by your presence within to motivate us, to urge us forward. Help us to look to those tools to help us run this race with endurance that we seek to know you more through the study of your word time spent in prayer and sincere prayer and God that you would just help us also in just the fellowship of the saints that we would engage in that we would take part in that and that we would we would live in the experience of what you have done for us and I pray God for the one who may not know you who have not yet set the right home destination in their life that as you draw them to you father that they would just come to you having their knees bowed and pleading with you for your mercy and we know that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and that you can restore us into a right relationship with you, not because of what we've done, but because of all that Christ has done. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name, amen.